Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia.
the proclamation board was a sequence of boards of about 100 or more being created around the late 1800s. These boards were used to communicate to Aboriginal people and to colonists the consequences of breaking the law. In some of the pictures now, you'll see an Aboriginal person being hanged or shot for murdering or killing a white Aborigine. Now, the reason why these boards were created was in the 1800s and the 1820s, a critical period for Aboriginal people was due to the Black War. Now, this was a period of intense repression and intense eradication of Aboriginal people from the farm. The 1820s was a time in which Aboriginal farmers, Jody Dodd, sent extensive herders a period that until the 1890s saw extraction of Aboriginal people and removal of Aboriginal people from Aboriginal lands. The 1890s, the late 1890s, saw these boards being put on trees as a form of communicating against the murdering of Aboriginal people. And it was suggested to government that this was the best way to communicate against the murdering of Aboriginal people. However, as the Black War began to move through, by this time it had already been changed. Those boards were not removed. As we know, the Aboriginal people suffered many and lost a lot in battle and in the war. So Julie is really referencing not only the proclamation boards themselves, but also these almost morbid like myths and myths and rites that go around these events. She's actually illuminating or uncovering the truth around the continuity of brutality against Aboriginal people. She also speaks to the Black Knight, which was a military campaign that occurred during the Black War. And it was a physical human life by removing people from the farm. And again, this campaign was much later and therefore the myths were maybe not as prevalent because all of the Aboriginal people were removed from the farm. So moving to the left side of the room, we have a few Aboriginal elders' pictures and then we have a piece by Joseph Gordon. And then a couple of other elders there Underneath there we have the brown and black flag of Aboriginal Aborigine and the Trans Northwest Campaign Commission. I'll speak about this Trinity Award Fund first and then how it might affect the Aboriginal community. So in the Joseph Lysett uh, piece of Trans Northern Command, when Julie was touring in Auction, she noticed that unlike the New South Wales piece, Aboriginal presence within that, the Tasmania piece never showed an Aboriginal person in person. It always showed us, the colonists or colonists, carrying the brown Bess musket. Now this musket was a British Army gun 
we pray for the Apostle uh, Ryan and the Grace Christian Ryan because his heart was broken and it was found in the shop and we took things a little bit away to Delhi where one of the jobs was teaching a course on the Word. So can you call all the apostles that are part of that? To Shelley on the right-hand side of my notes, this one served for 18 quarters and then it was sold. I should note the four things were sold, so that's a pattern that we have in here. And above it, she's included sight and scope, sight. And this is the movie Inner Dwelling, referencing using Bible words to teach the Nebuchadnezzar story of the former apostle of the true and living God. Now, in order to see this video footage, Judy travelled onto the country and actually had to get permission to see the story where they finished and the sculpture. And Hannah did mention in one of her talks how her brother openly speaks about how Aboriginal people, when they go to places, it goes their natural path. They just go physically where they go and seek and search that place. So negotiating with the landowner um, to go onto property, and Judy said, um, there's a child out there crying and it's going to be important for us to go pick her up. She sought permission to go on this property to film this piece. Now, has everyone seen this landowner's piece? This is a very important going out. And what we witnessed was a calm, beautiful, gently flowing ocean of Yarra River. And then we marked at this wide ramp of the beach, the water turns red. And we see the amount of bloodshed that has occurred in this country. Now, while we have not the specifics right for the massacre, we do know that there was at least one massacre recorded that occurred on the Yarra River. She's, what Judy is pinpointing is that this whole time, this um, blood has been shed. Now, for those of you who are interested, I want to be transparent. I actually had a Christian Ryan recently on Skype, and we were able to share with him all the story of how the work came to be recorded. That's what this is about. Obviously, it's a work of passion, but it has been about many different aspects of something, but also a passion as well. So with this work, once it turned red colour, it was recorded for the magazine Fact Check. And then besides that, she was able to receive it. If we look closely in the manuscripts, it was long and I need to correct this picture. There are two columns, one for each person. They're holding fishing rods and the other is holding a shovel. And Julie had mentioned that the landowner, before she went into this work, wanted six weeks so that he could clear the river um, while he's moving the ivory. So it's not only covered in ivory, but it's still suited the back of what it looks like. She realised that these two figures are what was found in the Nebuchadnezzar story. And by doing this, by making this, she finally found a sort of physical picture of what was lost, placing Aboriginal people back into their roots. 
work from the gallery's collection, which is the Hubble Antigone painting that depicts the works of Rubens. And this is Julie's final really large work, which also depicts the work of Rubens. The piece also finishes as a film, bringing us back to this wonderful childhood. And I should have also mentioned that we also got from our collection as stamps. So we're also mimicking the ideas of film and what it means to us. And also being given this portrait, this kind of glimpse into our own selves. Julie also talks about that when she filmed, she used a drone. A drone to go over the portrait and it really depicted Catherine Rubin. And this idea of surveillance, of surveilling the creator. The soundscape that permeates through this particular work is really deep and grounded soundscape. In fact, we want to get so deep that when we know the space, just around here, it's nearly empty and our eyes are looking up at it with an earthquake. So we had to just freeze down a bit. Julie takes great pictures and thank you for taking all of those. <laughs> but you still get that sense that it's foreboding and that whole installation um, of Cypress Bank is that Julie aims to create a distressing feeling in your head. And coupled with this circular space and the circular rubber handwork, she aims that we feel somewhat jarred. Not only from what we're seeing, but also physically. And I must say that when I saw it, I do have a bit of a